This is Dan Wharton Uncancelled. Let's go. Trans women's place in sport has become one of the world's hottest issues this week after the cyclist Emily Bridges was barred from racing in the national championships this weekend. Bridges, who competed as a man until just a few weeks ago, was set to race as a woman in Saturday's Omnium against uh, the prolific Olympic gold medalist Dame Laura Kenny. But after female riders threatened to boycott the event over her inclusion, the sports governing body, the UCI, saw sense and declared her ineligible. A decision British Cycling worryingly said was disappointing. Stonewall also against the decision. Now, the Bridges controversy is the latest, latest lightning rod in the trans women in sport debate after six foot one trans swimmer Leah Thomas powered past female Olympian. Emma Wayant in the NSAAA Women's Championships women's, uh, and Women's Rights Activist and Standing for Women founder Kelly J. Keane's poolside protest against Thomas at the event went viral. And I'm delighted to say Kelly J joins me now. So where do we begin, Kelly J? I guess we should talk about Emily Bridges first. Quite an extraordinary development over the past 24 hours. British Cycling still want Bridges to be able to compete, but it was the UCI that actually stepped in. Yeah, it's, um, look, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's just nonsensical that we have men and women's sports, full stop. I don't think we need a sporting body even. I think it just shouldn't, it shouldn't be a thing. Nobody should do it. Nobody should think they can do it. We don't need to have an inte intellectual, theoretical conversation about men and female bodies. We know that men don't belong in women's sports. That's, of course, they, they don't. No, it just seems like common sense, doesn't it? You can only compete in the biological, against the biological sex in which you were born. To me, that sounds like common sense, but it's quite terrifying when you have an organisation like British Cycling seemingly taking their marching orders from Stonewall. Yeah, Stonewall really need to be totally um, unravelled from everything where they have made catastrophic and dangerous decisions on behalf of uh, all from children to sports to government to police to NHS everywhere. So tell me what happened at the Leah Thomas swim meet, Kelly J. Keane, because you have gone viral across America as a result of that conversation. Were you at the event because you were so angry about this Leah Thomas spectacle? 
Well, I went, I do a speaker's corner event in London um, every month uh, to encourage women to say the things that we're no longer allowed to say on the modern public square, which is social media. Um, and we decided to go and do one in Washington. And then, so I did one outside the White House and then we went up to New York and I did a talk and I did a little protest outside the United Nations. And I was fortuitous enough to, for all of this trip to be timed with um, the Leah Thomas scandal. And the, the atmosphere in that room and the atmosphere of the people walking in is that they were just so grateful that they were able to say it. it you know, you could almost feel people expelling breath when they saw uh, Save Women Sports um, and people saying, actually, no, we know this man is a cheat. Uh, this is totally unfair and unjust against those girls that have spent probably more time swimming than I've spent sleeping in the last 10 years. You know, their whole lives have been about training for this race. Um, and it's just a really opportune moment because American sports, college sports like this is filmed. There is always media attention. And so it just seemed like a really good place to make a very um, strong point that uh, men don't belong in the water with women in races. And what was the atmosphere like at the pool? Because from the footage that I saw, it actually seemed like the crowd were largely against Leah Thomas and had great sympathy uh, for the women who missed out as a result mm -hmm. of Leah Thomas's participation. Well, they had a really polite protest, which was when Leah Thomas was congratulated, the applause was not so great and not so much. Um, and when the girls who came second, third and fourth, they had huge cheers. But it's, it's just remarkable. I mean, the money, the, the, it wasn't just uh, a swim meet. There's four sort of TV quality, amazing cameras. There's, there's people that are commentating as if it's um, an Olympic sport. It really is super big business. And so I, I was actually in the same hotel as Leah Thomas, and I can tell you, he's, enorm he's enormous. I mean, I'm five foot two. He's enormous. Um, so, yeah, the, the whole event, you could just, people were just desperate. I, I, met, I talked to a woman who was uh, part of the original Title IX recipient. So she was there when she first got the guaranteed opportunity as a female to participate in college sports on a level playing field as men. Um, and she was absolutely bereft. But what they saw and what they fought for and what they saw in front of them just being given away, um, I think, was just heartbreaking for her. Yeah, and I mean, women's sport is at risk. It is at risk. And I'm a big supporter, a big fan of uh, women's sport. Uh, I specifically support uh, the all-conquering London Pulse uh, women's netball team. Now, all you need in a women's uh, in a women's team sport, Kelly, is for one trans athlete to be part of it, and the whole sport is destroyed. And I worry about the wokery infecting these sporting bodies. Do you think, like I do, that actually there might have to be government action here? That that government might have to step in to actually protect women's sport in the UK with laws. Well, the government can't uh, protect a single-sex space in the UK or a hospital ward um, or a prison, so I don't know if I really think that it's too hopeful 
about them protecting sport. But the government needs needs to put its um, big girl pants on, really, and mm. start totally protecting women. Well, what Boris is the Johnson point of did even change saying? his language. Because, look, I, I know what you're saying. Up until this point, uh, Boris Johnson has been very influenced by his wife, Carrie Johnson, who is in cahoots uh, with Stonewall and, and believes in that ideology. But I don't know if you saw the comments from Boris Johnson in the House the other day. It really felt like he's realised this is an issue that he has to start taking a stand on. Maybe it is hopeful, but it was a significant change of language, I thought, from the Prime Minister. Well, I think, look, if I was in government and I wanted to make sure that Labour never got in again, I certainly wouldn't be jumping on the woke bandwagon. I think Labour have really shown themselves to be quite ridiculous on this issue. Um, Keir Starmer has blundered into this so many times. And for a man that understands the impact of, uh, you know, the criminal justice, the fact that all the statistics about male violence and what opportunistic predators will do, uh, and then to just carte blanche wave away women's rights uh, just so he can say something really silly um, on Andrew Marr, I, I just find um, just bizarre. So if I was Boris Johnson, I would absolutely be the party that all these politically homeless women, of which I am one, uh, can finally say, actually, that party is going to protect my rights and the rights of my daughter. Yeah, well, Sajid Javid has given a new interview uh, seemingly back in your position on this, so perhaps that is where the Tories are going. Uh, can I just ask Kelly finally, because, look, this is a human story. Uh, Leah Thomas has suffered a lot of abuse, and now we learn that Emily Bridges has had to remove uh, their Instagram page, their Instagram account. Uh, Emily's mother has said that her daughter is suffering from abuse and may even have to have police protection at future cycling races. Do you feel any human sympathy towards them? Yeah, what a big lie these uh, young men have been fed, which is A, that sex change is possible, um, and B, that a load of people around them, at, at no point has anyone said, you actually can't do this. Uh, this is unfair. But instead, people have said, you know what? You can do what you want. Uh, life's just like that. You decide what you want and we will accommodate you. And it isn't like that. And they will face backlash. And I don't suspect for a moment that anyone has said, look, if you go to this cycling race, it's not a, yay, trans rights. Uh, isn't this wonderful? It will be, there is a man racing with uh, women and it's unjust and unfair and we will be very cross about it. OK, thank you so much. That was Standing for Women founder Kelly J. Keane. Now, British Cycling have said they are committed to fair and meaningful competition informed by objective scientific research and driven by a desire to guarantee fairness and safety. The UCI, the world governing body for sports cycling, say their regulations reflect a broad medical, scientific and legal consensus and are the result of discussions and exchanges between medical experts, sport physicians, legal counsel, human rights experts and transgender representatives. Time now for Uncancelled, though. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. 
Now, the fallout from Sunday's disgracefully unsavoury Oscars continues to rumble on, with the Academy releasing a statement that claims Will Smith refused to leave the venue after physically assaulting Chris Rock. They also said they were weighing disciplinary proceedings against Smith, including possible expulsion or suspension from the Academy. Now, clearly, this reeks of the Hollywood elite desperately trying to play catch-up because they failed to take the right and appropriate action on the night and instead allowed Smith to be given a disturbing standing ovation for his best actor win. Our co-host for the evening, Wanda Sykes, was one of those who shamefully carried on with the ceremonies if nothing had happened. But in an insane piece of revisionism, here she is speaking yesterday about how she's been left traumatised. And I just felt so awful for my, my friend, you know, Chris, and... Uh... And, and it was it was sickening. It was absolutely. I physically felt ill, and I'm still a little traumatized Me by too. it. Me too. Me um, too. I was like, "How gross is this? This is just the wrong message." You know, like you assault somebody, you get escorted out the building, and that's it. You know, uh, uh, but but for them to let him continue, I thought I thought it was was gross. While Wanda saved her outrage for days after the event, Amy Schumer was actually the only one of the three hosts to even reference the slap on the night, uh, but only did so by making a flippant joke, asking, did I miss anything? But in a post she made on social media yesterday, of course, uh, Schumer claimed that she too is triggered and traumatised by what happened. Well, as the old saying goes, actions speak louder than words, and... Those Hollywood stars did precisely nothing to condemn an unacceptable display of violence from one of their own. Uh, well, someone who certainly has a lot to say on this is the rapper and podcaster Zuby. He, he joins me now. Zuby, look, there's, there's so much to unpick here. But the first thing that is really annoying me is this revisionism. Zuby, they were all in the room on the night. They had absolutely no problem with the assault. Wanda Sykes said nothing. Amy Schumer said nothing. They all gave Will Smith a standing ovation. So why are they now, after the fact, faking outrage? I don't get it. Hey, Dan. Well, I think a general problem, especially in the world of celebrity, but it goes beyond this as well, mm -hmm. is that people want to be in the majority and they will go whichever way the wind blows. If one day yes. it's popular to like A, then they will speak out about how much they like A and they dislike B. And then the narrative changes and you're supposed to like B and be against A then they will flip-flop. I think if we're talking about these type of Hollywood celebrities, we're talking about people who care a lot about what other people think of them. They care a lot about their, their status and keeping people around them uh, happy and trying to be people-pleasers to whatever degree that is. And so I think that's why you're constantly hearing acting. You're not really—it's hard to know what people's true feelings and beliefs are because what they're doing is simply echoing each other. They don't want to be the first person out with a dissenting opinion. Yeah, of course. And in the room on the night, they were all looking around and thinking, oh, goodness me, everyone's clapping Will Smith, so I'll clap Will Smith. Uh, there was absolutely mm -hmm. no outrage. Uh, Zuby, there's also a freedom of speech issue here, of course, too, because lots of people are criticising Chris Rock uh, for what he said. Mm. But he just made a joke and... and as we've said so often, we cannot get into this world where we start criminalising jokes. Jokes are meant to be offensive and you're not meant to be beaten up for making a joke. 
Absolutely. And I think it's actually worth highlighting that if you go back and you listen to what he said, it was a very, very mild joke. Yeah. I mean, the joke the Chris the Rock, that people, it was, yeah. Yeah, the jokes that are coming out after this incident, um, I've seen many that are far more, far more savage and insulting than anything he said. It was very mild. But regardless of that, even if someone does find something offensive, the way to respond to it is not to is not physical violence. I mean, you can't normalize hitting comedians for telling jokes that you don't like. That's a really extraordinarily bad precedent to have. So I think that the truth with this and many other issues is that people need to to breathe and, and back out of their emotions a little bit. I think this goes for the people involved and many people responding and reacting to it. Um, you know, people are saying, oh, you know, Will Smith should be, he should be thrown in jail or this. Oh, I, I, I think a lot of people are. I know. You know, I've, yeah, I think a lot of people are overdoing it. And I know, it would because be good for people. I have to be really clear because I've spoken about this all week, Zuby. Uh, I disagree with what Will Smith did. I am mm -hmm. absolutely not calling for Will Smith's cancellation. I'm not even calling for him to be stripped of, of the Oscar. I actually like Will Smith. I've met him. I think he's, he's a good guy. He made a mistake on the night, and we should mm -hmm. forgive him for that. But I am calling out the hypocrisy of the way the Academy is now acting as if he committed some sort of shocking crime. And on the night, they didn't give a damn. Uh, Zuby, I also want to talk to you about uh, The Guardian, by the way, because The Guardian say... Uh, that I'm not allowed to talk about this, and that if I talk about this, I am illustrating downright racism and anti-blackness. Am I? Whoa. Uh, no. No. Um, everyone Where is free to talk from? about. It comes from a bizarre ideology which sets the context that only certain people are allowed to talk about certain things. It's a it's a form of ideological gatekeeping. And I reject that outright. Anybody, regardless of who you are or your skin color or gender or sexuality, whatever, people can talk about whatever they want. Um, whether or not people have an informed opinion or have the facts straight, that can be another matter, but that is not based on your immutable characteristics. So that's a silly idea. Shrewd analysis as ever from Zuby. Thank you so much. We'll speak again next week. Mark Dolan is tonight's outsider. The pursuit of zero COVID was always doomed to miserable failure, and even the Chinese people's patience is wearing thin with the country's draconian measures. Despite being under the thumb of a despicable communist regime, protesters are taking to the streets all over China. Good on them, as hungry and liberty-starved residents demand food and freedom. Uh, this video, posted online, already deleted by China's censors, shows people in a Shanghai housing compound chanting... We want to work, we want to eat, we want the right to know, we want the local authorities to resolve the situation. We want freedom. Uh, the Chinese, once so proud of their COVID response, are tired of being locked in their homes and being shipped off to newly built, look at them, yet filthy quarantine camps where they, if they return a positive test, look, that's where you end up living. They are tired of having to literally fight to feed their families as food supplies run low inside their police-patrolled ring-fenced towns and cities. 
Shanghai is the desolate epicenter of China's regressive zero-COVID strategy as its 26 million residents are locked down and authorities set about mass testing the entire city daily. Look at those queues for testing that are to, testament to the insanity at the heart of a zero-COVID strategy with people huddled closely together to be swapped for the virus. And as if things weren't sinister enough, they've got robots patrolling the streets to ensure people don't disobey the dystopian lockdowns. Oh, and by the way, uh, as of Wednesday, China, a country of 1.5 billion people, had a nationwide COVID case total of 28,163. Goodness me, Mark Dolan, this unrest in China shows that zero COVID is a complete disaster that only belongs in dictatorships, right? Yes, I quite like that robot dog, though. I wouldn't mind if it picked up my shopping. <laughs> we don't but want to go there, down that path, Mark. We don't there, want to go down that path. It's terrifying. No. Now, listen, Dan, this pandemic has been a litmus test for values, whether it's within a country, uh, within a population. Uh, people have revealed their true colours, and no better example uh, is there than of the truly evil Chinese Communist Party, who, let's be honest, spooked the West into having lockdowns in the first place. COVID has tapped into the totalitarian instincts of a lot of countries, but China is the most extreme example. And we know we've seen a zero COVID policy in your native New Zealand and also Australia. That has failed too, where cases are through the roof. And what we need to learn after two years is that this virus isn't going anywhere. And to see these scenes in China where the government completely failing to control the virus, but attempting it anyway, appears to have learnt nothing. I know, Mark. And if the Chinese people are finally starting to stand up against this, you know it's bad. Because imagine two years of this hell, Mark. Two years of it they've had to endure. To what end? What's the point? You know, what is the point? And it's interesting you raised New Zealand because obviously I have been following it closely. You know, COVID is ripping through New Zealand now. They have tens of thousands of cases every day because we can't avoid this thing and we were never going to be able to avoid this thing. And I thought the Chinese were smarter than that because they've proved themselves to be ingenious when it comes to the economy. And uh, they will, in the years to come, take over as the world's largest economic superpower. More's the pity. Uh, but this is medieval stuff, Dan. I mean, look at those pictures. It's horrific what the Chinese people are going through. Those who are protesting know that they risk jail and possibly even harsher punishment than that. They might be tortured. Uh, it could be that they'll throw away the key. And yet they're so upset and they're so desperate for their families. They want to put food on the table. Uh, in the end, it's an extreme example of zero COVID, right? That if you have zero COVID, you will be left with zero country. I've got to say, we didn't exactly get off scot-free in, in, uh, in the West, Dan, because, OK, Britain's had a degree of freedom since Freedom Day on the 19th of July. And of course, we didn't cancel Christmas. But we've had zero COVID light here in the UK. And if you want to have a look at the impact of that, well, you've got a waiting list, which some feel could reach 12 million by the time we're done. And you've got half a trillion quids worth of debt. So it's not as bad as China. It's not as bad as New Zealand. But it really it's a lesson to all of us that we should have ultimately taken a more rational route. Well, yeah, and we had we had total, started. Uh, total scientific thickos like that Devi Schroeder encouraging yeah. 
uh, scheming Sturgeon in Scotland to go down the path of uh, zero COVID. Do you remember in, in, in 2020, Sturgeon basically declared Scotland COVID free? I mean, these people are lunatics, Mark. I said from March 2020, actually from February 2020, that borders can never stop a virus. And the countries that think that their borders will keep the virus out are in the end going to lose. Uh, sure, maybe their case numbers and their death numbers were lower in the beginning, but in the end, Mark, they will lose. Final word to you. Well, yes, absolutely. We've got to learn from history. Look at China. Let's never go there again. This is devastating stuff. Indeed. Mark Dolan. And of course, Mark will be here in this very slot Friday, Saturday, Sunday night with Mark Dolan tonight. And Mark, I will be watching. Have a very good week. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> you too. Dan Wooten here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooten tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.